What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, August 10th through Friday, August 14th, 2020. It was a big week in talk media as well as the nation and the world. We have a newly minted Democratic national ticket as Mamala Kamala takes center stage and turns an important new page in American history. And that's just for starters. We have BLM, MLB, EAU, CDC, CCP, PPE, NRA, NBA, USPS, NCAA, NAACP, and of course we mustn't forget Q. Q? Who the heck is Q? The guy with godlike powers who bedevils JLP and TNJ? Not quite. This Q is even less real. OMG, the world has gone N-U-T-Z. Coming up in the next hour, we'll be hearing from a variety of talk media personalities, presenting a diversity of perspectives bouncing between our eye drums and earballs and through the rewired maze of our brains in the national conversation. They'll be checking in from Atlanta, Seattle, Charlotte, Boston, and the nation's capital. People with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation. It's all part of the verbal stew in which we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap, an examination of the past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, engage. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10, the QAnon conspiracy theory. The victory of QAnon conspiracy theory advocate Marjorie Taylor Greene in a Georgia GOP congressional primary has a number of Republican insiders scratching their heads and wringing their hands. And the fact that the president enthusiastically endorsed her is not making matters any easier for those concerned about the party's credibility come Election Day and thereafter, should she likely win a seat in Congress. At number nine, the Israel-UAE agreement. Israel and the United Arab Emirates reached a landmark agreement on Thursday that could lead to a broader realignment in the region, as the two formerly hostile adversaries agreed to full normalization of relations in exchange for Israel suspending annexation of the occupied West Bank territory. This unexpected development in Middle East peace prospects is a major diplomatic victory and achievement for President Trump although the Palestinians have already expressed their unhappiness with it. At number eight, U.S.-China relations. The relationship between Washington and Beijing continues to go from bad to worse on matters of trade, spying, election tampering, human rights abuse, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and the truth about China's involvement in the origin and spread of COVID-19. The problem is not easily solved because so much American business and capital is tied up in our complicated frenemyship with the CCP. At number seven this week, a three-way tie between the economy, stimulus discussions, and the struggles facing businesses trying to reopen. Unemployment is at a disturbing high. Many businesses remain closed, and a number of major concerns are filing for bankruptcy. On the sports front, Big Ten and Pac-12 schools announced the cancellation of their college football schedules for this season. On the stimulus front, what's happening with a second package remains murky, and it appears the situation won't be resolved until at least September. At number six, the complex trio of race relations, urban unrest, and homelessness. 
discussion of the Black Lives Matter movement remains on the front burner, while racially connected violence in cities such as Chicago, Seattle, and Portland continues to grab headlines, and in sports, the matter of kneeling during the playing of the national anthem persists as a source of controversy. The selection of Kamala Harris as the first woman of color vice presidential nominee by a major party has added a fascinating new chapter to the book of race relations, not to mention gender relations, in America. At number five, healthcare and the international race to find a vaccine. As COVID-19 continues to bedevil the nation, Americans are obsessed with meds, the efficacy of masks, the safety of hand sanitizers, the efficiency of hospitals, social distancing, and the struggle to maintain emotional stability. Meantime, Russia has announced major but highly questionable and largely untested progress in its efforts to develop an effective and safe vaccine. At number four, COVID-19 stats and projections. At the time of the production of this program on Friday, the death toll in the United States has surpassed a staggering 167,000. And the CDC now projects that number to reach nearly 189,000 by September 5th. In the meantime, in the discussion about herd immunity, which is achieved when around 70 to 90 percent of a population becomes immune to a disease, Dr. Fauci says letting COVID-19 reach that threshold would lead to massive death tolls. At number three, school opening challenges. The effort to safely open schools and in-person learning is not going smoothly. One of the major flies in the ointment is the revelation that children are not as immune to the disease as previously thought, and in addition to the perils it presents to their own health, they are dangerous spreaders of the coronavirus to their parents and teachers. At number two this week, mail-in voting debate. The big question is, can the United States Postal Service handle the extra burden that will be placed upon it with the huge expected increase in mail-in balloting due to concerns over the coronavirus. Meantime, the president, a vehement opponent of mail-in voting, is coming under harsh criticism for his reduction of financial support for the USPS at a time when it is needed most. Which brings up the obvious question, is he actually openly doing this to suppress votes that he believes would be against his chances of re-election? Something he has amazingly, even shockingly admitted. At number one this week, Kamala Harris selected for the Democratic Party vice presidential nomination. After weeks of growing suspense, the Biden campaign has announced the selection of United States Senator Kamala Harris of California to be his running mate. And now we are officially off to the races. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. By far, the most talked about topic this week has been the long-awaited selection of a running mate for Joe Biden on the Democratic Party ticket. Joining us now is one of the most listened-to radio talk show hosts in Atlanta, Eric Erickson, who's heard late afternoons on WSB and earlier each day on a separate statewide show. Eric, did you see this coming? Did you predict that Kamala Harris would be Joe Biden's pick? I actually assumed he would go with someone else. It was almost too obvious, and I guess in retrospect, it being that obvious. Um, a, a friend of mine pointed out that hers, of all the potential candidates, hers was the most edited Wikipedia entry in the last month. So I suspect this has been in the ground, in, in the works for more than a month. So, But it would almost seem too obvious to me. And, and why obvious? Because uh, I, I gather when you say obvious that maybe there's a certain sensibility to doing it. What there is thoughts? a sensibility to doing it. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, is she's got friends in the establishment camp and the progressive camp. She is uh, an African-American female, or I guess I should really say black with her uh, descent being Asian and Jamaican. She's got an impressive background and biography. And Joe Biden was very upfront. He wanted a minority female as his vice president to bring diversity to the ticket. There were only so many who he could put on that list with a background that also had executive experience. And that's one thing to remember about Kamala Harris. People think of her as a senator, but she actually was a city attorney for San Francisco and attorney general in California uh, with executive experience. You know what I find interesting with her is that there's more talk about her work as AG and uh, city attorney than about Senate. That she seems to really have, as they say, you know, made her bones uh, at that point in her career. 
she did. I, you know, it was an interesting career in that being city attorney in, in San Francisco, certainly even in California, certain stereotypes with it. And so she became very, very law and order as contrast to the current uh, district attorney in San Francisco. And it was a way to placate uh, other progressives in California who were not so, I don't know, uh, not quite down with the, the recklessness that San Francisco sometimes has a stereotype. So she placated the concerns of some that she might let crime go wild in California, and then was very aggressively a law and order attorney general. Uh, and it, that actually makes for a very interesting pivot here on the campaign trail, as the president has been highlighting progressives who want to defund the police. It's interesting to note, none of those people will be speaking at the Democratic convention. And now the vice presidential pick has actually uh, earned her reputation as a very law and order Democrat. Do you think that uh, conservatives, and you are a conservative, but uh, from following your work on the air, you seem to be a very um, open-minded conservative who's not afraid to criticize conservatives as well as liberals. So I, I and, and I think I, I tell you that as a as a compliment. Um, well, I appreciate it. Do Do you think that there's an irony here that conservatives who will be finding fault with her will have to say that? She's not as much of a progressive as some of the progressives think she might be. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, when you think about it? It is, but you know that's kind of my criticism with Kamala Harris is that she isn't really leaderly so much as she's led by progressives, and over time she's been willing to adopt and then discard positions that could get her ahead. One of the most recent being, of course, she believed Joe Biden's accusers until she became his vice presidential nominee, and now has decided she didn't. It's kind of a pattern with her. In fact, when the New York Times diagnosed the collapse of her campaign in December of last year, they noted that she and her campaign were much more interested in staying on the right side of woke Twitter, as they called it, uh, than having any sort of governing philosophy. And I think conservatives will be able to point to that, that she intrinsically is of the left and unfortunately can be led fairly easily by the most uh, vocal voices of the left. And that's concerning. You know, the irony here, though, is that the chief Democratic criticism of the president initially had been that he really had no principles and would say or do anything to get elected. And that is essentially who Joe Biden has picked for his vice presidential nominee. Well, is that maybe an asset in politics? In other words, is pragmatism, and that's what we're really talking about, is, pragma- is pragmatic behavior in the extreme a liability in terms of electability? <laughs> you know, in this day and age, uh, pragma- pragmatism to the extreme, I guess, can get you elected on both sides. Uh, <laughs> it, it provides no governing philosophy, though. Therefore, I, I think uh, just ideologically, it doesn't provide a lot of stability. Uh, you become unpredictable. And one of the great premises of, of American society has been that our law and government have tended to be predictable until the last couple of years, regardless of who was in office. Things seem to be stable. Uh, I, I do think this has the potential to make people really cynical about politics. And I'm not talking about the the base on either the left or the right, but the independent voters who are looking at these candidates, I What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. 
think, increasingly become cynical about both parties in a way that I really do think we continue to gravitate towards the rise of a third party somewhere with someone who is less cynically ambitious than either of the two parties. Well, I, I, I certainly uh, see your point about there being the potential fertile ground for a third party that comes somewhere in what we call the middle, although I don't know what the nature of the middle is anymore. Right. Uh, the middle could be in many places. So we say the middle for convenience. But I wonder, and I'd like your take on this, whether or not this election is already decided. And it's just a matter of waiting for the time or the place or how we do it, that people that want to vote for Trump are going to vote for Trump. People that want to vote for Biden are going to vote for Biden. And there aren't that many people are going, hmm, I wonder which one I want, as if um, they're so similar, as we've seen in the past, that um, any little thing could weigh them one way or the other. What do you think? I actually have thought this for a while. The question is, are there still a lot of people out there lying to pollsters who will actually vote for the president and are telling pollsters they want? Or is the bigger group people who voted for the president in 2016 and won't vote for him now? And depending on how you view the landscape, you'll you'll take a different side on this. I, I actually don't know the answer to that, but I think the number of undecided people is very, very small at this point, given particularly, I mean, just the, the dynamic nature of this presidency, it is very polarizing. And I think that voters, people forget, are going to start voting in just a few weeks. Uh, before the run-up to the presidential debates, uh, probably a quarter of votes in the country will already be uh, voted on. And the big issue is going to be the president, not Joe Biden. And the president's team seems to be mindful of that, but the president himself does not. Do you think there will be debates? There will be debates. Uh, I think everybody's saying there won't be debates. I, I think, get it wrong, there are always presidential debates. The media, say what you will about them, they're going to demand debates. That's radio talk show host Eric Erickson. Heard afternoons 4 to 6 p.m. on WSB Atlanta and earlier each day on his own independent Georgia network. Check out his website, The Resurgent. Com. Coming up next, a conversation with our old friend Michael Medved in Seattle talking about urban violence and homelessness and a return visit from the former governor of North Carolina and a seven term mayor of Charlotte who's now heard daily on WBT, Pat McCrory. I think you'll find this fascinating. We'll be discussing the mind-numbingly complex relationship between the United States of America and the PRC, which stands for the People's Republic of China. That's their official name. And how dangerous it is to our well-being as a nation going forward into the 21st century. Obviously, one. But which one will be the hegemonic world power in the years ahead? We'll also candidly talk about the former governor's high-profile run-in with political correctness and his experience as someone who's been there and done in by the cancel culture. Don't miss this. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap on 104.7 Wonk FM. We are at war with a murderous enemy for control of the planet. Bugs. Some you can see and others you can't. Bed bugs and other insects as well as viruses and bacteria. Since 1967, a product known to the medical supplies and hospitality industries has been heavy artillery in the war against bugs, viruses and bacteria. It's called Sterifab. Beware of scam products in the market making all kinds of promises. Sterifab is the only product registered with the EPA that kills insects and disinfects microbes. Many states require it to be applied prior to the rental of hospital beds and wheelchairs, as well as secondhand mattresses and furniture. You won't find Sterifab at the stores. It's usually sold in bulk for industrial use. But now you can get Sterifab in convenient gallon or handy pint containers with spray nozzles by going to killsanddisinfects.com. Heck of a product. Killsanddisinfects.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap. The subject of social unrest and criminal violence on the streets of such cities as Chicago, Portland, and Seattle continue to be a hot topic of discussion this week and the national conversation. Joining us now is a Seattle-based radio talk show host heard daily on powerhouse station KTTH, as well as across the nation on the CRN Digital Talk Radio Network. 
Michael Medved. So, Michael Medved, you are based in Seattle, and Seattle has been one of the hotbeds of news and activity in terms of this crazy year 2020. A lot of stuff is going on in Chicago. A lot of stuff is going on in Portland. What's what's your take on the urban violence and the controversial political handling of it? Michael, we have a racial reckoning, we have urban violence, we have homelessness, we have a lot of politics attached to it, all taking place in places such as Seattle, where you are, Portland, Chicago. What's your take on this? Oh, it's completely mad. I mean, I, we, we moved to Seattle 24 years ago, and uh, basically we moved to this part of the world because I've always loved it, and I was done, I thought, with, uh, with L.A., and the terrible truth about Seattle is it's not just uh, the the riots, and they were riots. It's not just the violence and the, the craziness of CHOP, the Capitol Hill-occupied protest. It's the general deterioration of what was one of the most vibrant and vital and beautiful downtowns in America. And... Part of the very essence of all of this is the breakdown in public order that is involved with the notion that anybody has a right to pitch a tent and to defecate and to leave your used syringes and other garbage anywhere you want in the city. One of the things that has gotten very little attention here is the city council over the mayor's objection has now put a stop to any, any attempt to clear away homeless encampments. And, uh, of course, they have uh, taken over the city. Same is true in Portland. Same is true in Los Angeles. Same is true in San Francisco. And I think it's a, a national blight. And the notion that this shows kindness to homeless people is completely wrong. It is not kind to allow people to uh, live on the street. That, that doesn't help anybody. And you know something, for those of us who haven't been um, in these cities in a while, I haven't been to Seattle uh, personally in, um, oh gosh, about 15, 20 years, and I remember what a beautiful city it was. But there, there's video out there. There's, there are news reports out there. The homeless problem, you know, aside from the political violence and the, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, the situation, just the, just the homeless situation is, it's beyond belief. And it's, it's not only terrible from a standpoint of it's unsightly, it's unkind to these people, it's, it, many of them are drug addicts, many of them are mentally ill, but now, especially in the COVID era, era rather, it's dangerous as hell. I mean, really dangerous. Without question, Michael. It's, it's terribly dangerous for the whole city. And, and again, the degradation uh, citywide... I, I remember one of the things that uh, we showed our children when we first moved here 24 years ago was, look at this, no graffiti. You notice that? And uh, now Seattle is one of the most graffiti um, trashed and afflicted cities in the country, if not the world. It's, it's appalling. There is garbage everywhere. And it's, it's part of that whole broken windows idea is that when chaos prevails, when the sense of public order or some kind of respect for the public areas breaks down, uh, then, of course, crime goes up as well. And that has also been the experience in terms of violent crime this year, 2020, even with fewer people on the street because of COVID-19, the levels of violence in Seattle have gone up. And if, if the police will tell you it's precisely because of the cutbacks. It's the most idiotic thing imaginable. And the same thing is going on in Chicago, and the same thing is going on in Portland, the same thing is going on across the country. At a time of rising violence, which, by the way, afflicts the African-American community more than any other part of the population, at a time of rising violence, the notion of cutting back on police services is sick. It's, mm. it's warped. It's insane. Okay, why do the people, why do the people, the citizens of Seattle, which you can speak to directly because you are a citizen of Seattle, as well as Portland and Chicago, um, why do they put up with this? I mean, it's, it's apparent. Why don't they vote those out of office who have created an environment to allow this to fester? Well, 
I, I, I think a large part of it has to do with, with good intentions. Uh, and, and again, to come back to the homeless problem, which predates the COVID-19 and predates, of course, the, the recent upsurge in violence, part of, part of the idea here is people want to show compassion. Mm. And you see people who don't know where they are and, and, and they're basically living on the sidewalk. And of course, you, you feel sympathy for such people. But uh, just to give you an example of some of this Seattle <laughs> insanity is the city council built uh, what is lovingly referred to as drunk dorms. Um, they, they built, for, for the cost of $8 million, oh a uh, residential housing for chronic homeless alcoholics. And in order to qualify to live for free in the drunk dorms, you had to have a history of at least five arrests for drunk and disorderly. Oh, you and have to have credits. <laughs> you, have to, you have to show your credentials. The, here's the kicker of, uh, is, is that when you go to the drunk dorms, you can continue drinking. You're right. allowed well, to be, drink yourself to death. Well, you want to maintain your ability to stay there. You know, it's <laughs> right. talk no, about no, a negative it, incentive. It, it, Gee. And by the way, and I've, I've, done, I've done this on the air quite a bit, in, in uh, San Francisco... They have this program where they're paying for uh, people experiencing homelessness to uh, live in hotels. And <laughs> people are very offended that the Ritz-Carlton didn't want to welcome them. But it, it, again, the uh, hotels are empty because there's no tourism, so they put homeless people in the hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. And they have a program in San Francisco where they provide free alcohol, cigarettes, and marijuana. That's KTTH Seattle talk show host Michael Medved, who's also heard across America on the CRN Digital Talk Radio Network. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. U.S.-China relations is an ongoing topic in the American talk media. Joining us now for the second week in a row is the 8 to 10 a.m. host of Heritage Talk Powerhouse WBT in Charlotte. Before joining the station, he was the governor of North Carolina between 2013 and 2017. And prior to that, he was a seven-term mayor of Charlotte. Pat McCrory. You know, a year ago. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Go at this time, Iraq and... China and North Korea were the biggest issues, and all of a sudden they're completely off the radar screen. Mm. Well, they aren't off the radar screen. The media and the politicians are just ignoring them because the total focus is on COVID and right now on Black Lives Matter and and a few other issues. And, and what's interesting, those two issues were not even in the top 10 or non-existent a year ago. So... We're ADD when it comes to uh, issues controlling us versus us controlling what are the major issues that are going to impact us, not just this year, but 10 to 20 years from now. I personally get the feeling, based on what you just said, I, I, I get the feeling that uh, China is getting away with murder uh, as we're distracted by so many other things and that our um, relationship with China, particularly Donald Trump, who was the first president out of the last five to really stand up to China, um, that um, it's become politicized, that uh, that we're not judging our relationship with China objectively, but rather through a political lens as we all seek victory as opposed to trying to uncover truth. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, I don't think it's a political end. I think it's a money end. It's power and money. Uh, mm. China has so much influence over so much industry in 
in North America that uh, that industry is afraid to buck China because their future growth is dependent upon China. Hollywood movies. When I was governor in 216 and some of the Hollywood and NBA were going to boycott North Carolina, I raised the issue, wait a minute, you're going to China to make a movie right now. How can you boycott North Carolina? Well, it has to do with money. They can afford to boycott North Carolina, but they cannot afford to boycott China with the incredible uh, number of new customers that are available and the money in China. So look at Microsoft, look at Nike, look at uh, Apple. Their future growth is China. And that's why they're reluctant to criticize China. And that's why Hollywood is reluctant to criticize China. And that's frankly why politicians are too. And the NBA is and the NBA, the NBA yeah. and the NCAA is owned by China because Nike owns them. And so Nike, have we already lost the war? I mean, is that what, is that what, you know, what you're, first of all, I happen to think you're right. What I'm not sure of are, are the implications of that. What you're saying is a very scary thing. If, no, it's fact, been around too. We've just not, I've talked about it on the radio for the three years I've been on radio, but, uh, I know for a fact China owns our debt, which is too complicated to explain, but our industry makes so many of their products in China. So we depend upon their cheap labor and we depend upon their market growth. Um, and that's the market growth of so many industries that are in, in their future plans. By the way, the banks have billions of dollars invested in China, every major bank in New York. So Trump is stepping on the toes of money. And... Hmm. Uh, that's one of the hidden secrets of the pushback against Trump is when he started fighting the China trade. The China trade was strongly supported by both Democrats and Republicans because of the huge amount of money from the financial and manufacturing institutions and sports and entertainment that are dependent uh, upon China. Fascinating. Did you suffer the same problem with some of the controversial things that you were involved in as governor, like the HB2 situation, more oh. so uh, by the boycotts and the economic problems with the money in North Carolina than necessarily the principle of the situation? I was the test case of the cancel culture before the term even came to be known in the last year. I was canceled. I was uh I'd never heard of transgender bathroom issue before, and it mm. occurred three months before my election, and it took over my life. And what most people don't realize is that issue was started by the Democrats with bathroom laws. I'm a libertarian when it comes to that, actually. But if you go back and pull my name up on the Internet, I'm the evil of all evil on that issue. And that's where the boycott of North Carolina occurred three months prior to my election. And it was all coordinated through the national governors or the Democratic Governors Association through Cuomo and others to defeat me in North Carolina. And um, what's ironic, uh, Trump called me up about it two months before elections. He says, what's this transgender bathroom thing? And I said, stay out of it. Mm. Stay out of it. You can't win that type of social issue. And he did. And I've seen him since, and he's gone, hey, thanks for giving me the advice. And I said, yeah, I wish I would have taken my own advice and not gotten dragged into it mm. because the cancel culture is uh, they use extortion. Um, and you're seeing that now, not through the, just the, a the HRC's methods work. That's the Human Rights uh, Council. Um, they use the cancel culture, and then now it's going to the Black Lives Matter and I'm not talking about the term. I'm talking about the organization. They're using the cancel culture very, very effectively. And if you don't want to be canceled, you've got to donate. There is an extortion type of method going on in politics right now toward industry. And industry will pay off to win, to be, uh, to be left alone for a year or two and hope it blows over. And if you notice, a lot of the um, banks aren't being protested. You know, the banks are not being, rocks are not being thrown in the bank windows in New York or in Charlotte, that's because they've made their payments. They're, they're destroying retail stores and things of this nature. It's very, very well coordinated. And I'm not saying this as a uh, right-wing conspiratist. I'm saying this, this is a very well coordinated action 
very strategic, well thought out, and the people doing it are very smart. They use art of war tactics that are not new tactics, but very effective tactics against uh, big corporations, uh, against police departments, against politicians. It's no different from the tactics that the Viet Cong used against our, our massive machine of soldiers and you know during the Tet Offensive. Mm-hmm. They used both the media and they used surprise and they used uh, many other techniques, uh, propaganda. And um, it's not new. We used it to uh, in the American Revolution against the British, much more powerful force. So these are not new techniques. There have been no new ideas since Plato. That's former North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory, who now hosts the 8 to 10 a.m. weekday show on WBT in Charlotte, talking about U.S.-China relations and their connection to political correctness and the cancel culture. Coming up next, a look at one of this past week's most contested issues, voting by mail. Is it safe? Can it be improved? Or is it a recipe for disaster? You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap on 104.7 Wonk FM. For James Whelan, being diagnosed with a common skin cancer called cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, or CSCC, came as a surprise. James had never thought a little spot on his skin could be serious, but it was. I was looking out for irregular moles, but what I thought was just an infected pimple turned out to be advanced CSCC, and it had already spread deep into my skin and through my shoulder and into my chest. James was among the nearly 75% of Americans not familiar with CSCC. Although often cured when caught in an earlier stage, in some cases, CSCC can progress and become serious. After his diagnosis, James learned the importance of being proactive with the skin health. I had multiple surgeries and other types of treatment, but when the CSCC progressed, I had to work with my team of doctors to figure out my options. This summer, know the facts about advanced CSCC. Visit skincancer.org slash facts to learn more. This is sponsored by Regeneron and Sanofi. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. One of the key issues pertaining to the presidential race of 2020 has been the debate over the ability of the U.S. Postal Service to proficiently handle balloting during the coronavirus era without the election being subject to error and fraud. Joining us now is one of the nation's leading experts on scams, fraud, and security, the founder of the acclaimed website Scamicide.com, professor of law at Bentley University in Boston, and Talker's legal editor, Steve Weissman. How much truth is there, Steve, that mail-in voting would create a situation in the election that would be ripe for fraud? Well, the good news here is uh, mail-in voting is one of the most secure ways. You know, one of the things I was looking at uh, was uh, the idea of people being able to vote online. That would be uh, a horror show. In addition, interestingly enough, if you're if you're really looking at fraud, if you're really looking at uh, interference uh, in the election by Russia or others uh, that have uh, you know the, these kinds of capabilities, they uh, they could hack into uh, election machines. However, mail-in voting, good old-fashioned but verified mail-in voting, which is so much more important in the face of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, has been shown to be both effective, uh, secure, and, and safe. Uh, you know, it, certainly nothing is, is perfect, and there have been times, kind of like the uh, hanging chads, but with uh, mail-in ballots, the good thing is they have to be done properly. So if someone didn't sign it or uh, if there is some kind of indication that it isn't uh, the uh, secure ballot, uh, they will get knocked out. Frankly, the only downside is we're used to knowing a winner 
the night of the uh, election or the next day. And that will, I can tell you right now, that will not happen. It will be uh, at least a couple of weeks before we truly know who is the, uh, the winner this time, because there are delays in processing these. Some states will allow processing and verifying of mail-in votes by barcodes or comparing affidavit signatures as soon as they are, are filed. But others won't even start looking at them until the actual uh, day of the election. So the good news is uh, that it works. There really is no indication that it doesn't. And it's worked very well in uh, a lot of states, including Utah, where almost all of the uh, voting is, is done by mail. But it will be delayed. We've been through that with it, it was uh, 2000, that election yeah. forever. Uh, it was pretty painful. However, in this in this election, if it's close, a two week delay might actually be a benefit uh, <laughs> before the fighting begins. <laughs> yeah, it'll give, give us give us a little bit of a, a break. You know, right now the uh, my biggest concern uh, looking at this is uh, the post office. Uh, the post uh, post office is not really funded right now uh, sufficiently to handle this, and uh, Congress has not uh, allocated the the funds. It was supposed to be part of the uh, the last stimulus package, but it was taken out of there. And also, some of the states could use uh, some more money uh, as far as processing uh, mail-in ballots, and that hasn't been done. There still is time, and I, I'm hopeful that uh, that. Congress will both make sure that the, the Postal Service is working well, although some states are actually getting ahead of the game. And it's really kind of, of interesting. Uh, Rhode Island, for instance, is putting out like their own uh, deposit boxes where you can put in your, uh, your ballot. Uh, they come with two keys so that, uh, you know, to provide for some security uh, so that nobody can just break into them. Uh, but uh, people are getting creative. And this is something that is particularly, you know, we want to make uh, voting safe uh, is a way that uh, the public can vote in a, uh, in a real secure and safe fashion. Now, you're an expert on cybercrime. You're, you're an expert on Internet, you know, uh, criminality and, um, and, and hacking and, and all of that. It's interesting you said that online voting would be <laughs> fertile ground for uh, fraud, but the mail or, you know, in-person, well, in-person voting could be um, fraudulent yeah. as well because of the digital nature of the voting machines. Exactly. How serious? It's funny. I would annually go to a, uh, a convention uh, out in Las Vegas uh, called DEF CON. And this is a hacker's convention. Fascinating. You will meet, um, you'll meet government security people. You will meet private security people. And you'll meet criminals. All there. I mean, I actually once went and there was a... Uh, uh, there was a session on how to rob a bank electronically, but they'll have games. And uh, one year it was who can break into a uh, a car uh, the fastest uh, and hack into it. Uh, in recent years, when they had one of the uh, voting machines and who could hack into that, and a 12-year-old did it in 10 minutes. So uh, the machines are, and the online counting, that actually is more vulnerable than the good old-fashioned mail, which will have a paper trail. Uh, they can do the counting where it is what we call air-gapped, so it is not uh, going to be accessible by Internet hackers. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the oldies are a goodies here. Well, or, or, or paper ballots. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is the way they Paper used ballots, to do it. Uh, yeah, I would trust much more at this point in time. So how how much danger are we in going forward in this age of international, you know, spying and sabotage and criminality online and hacking? How 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 much in danger are we of having um, digitally oriented elections from um, people uh, in Russia, China? Iran, places that have a, a, a record of uh, 
you know, being hostile players oh, in sure. terms and of the our processes. And in fact, uh, one of the more fascinating things to me is you look at uh, Russia, and Russia uh, would prefer uh, President Trump to be uh, reelected. Uh, China would not prefer, and Iran would not prefer President Trump to be elected. So you, you've got these different countries uh, hacking in different manner. I do f- believe that uh, as much interference as these uh, countries uh, will do, I think it'll be m- through mostly in uh, what worked before and working through social media. Uh, we do have some levels of uh, protection uh, that are better now in protecting the uh, actual count and the machines and uh, also the voting list. So I don't think, I think, it, yes, it is a legitimate threat, but I think it's one that we've gone a ways uh, as far as protecting ourselves. I want to make one point that I think is important to raise, and that is there's a difference between interfering in an election uh, with actually getting into machines and getting into the digital workings of the election and changing changing things and putting fake news and yeah. uh, and false memes out there um to influence voters and 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 then of course however they vote they vote as opposed to changing their vote after they voted does that make sense yeah and i i totally agree with you on that and it, it's interesting too because we it, it you know there are no rule it's the wild wild west when it comes to uh international hacking but it does appear that uh neither russia nor china nor iran have to date looked as if they are going to actually attack uh, the voting machines and the uh, the voting rolls. They have tried to get into some voting registration lists, but you know, quite frankly, I think that's where even they draw the line. And it is, you know, it's a world away from influencing with social media. You know, frankly, what's kind of interesting is. All of the stuff that was illegal for Russia to do on social media is perfectly legal to do for an American citizen on social media. That happens and will happen. So uh, it's it's it is uh, that that we have to accept is is part of today's world. That's Steve Weissman, professor of law at Bentley University in Boston and founder of the website scamicide.com. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We have time for one more thing before we wrap the program up with our final guest. In addition to the topic chart, Talkers publishes a weekly survey of the 10 most talked about people on talk shows in America. Let's take a moment now and go through that list from number 10 to 1. At number 10, Sumner Redstone, who passed away this week. He was a a media mogul who was uh, very much a part of Viacom and CBS. Dr. Anthony Fauci at number 9. At number eight, Marjorie Taylor Greene, whom we'll be talking about in just a moment. Xi Jinping, the uh, the president of China, at number seven. Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, at six. Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell share the number five position. Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, is at number four. Former Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, is number three. President of the United States, Donald Trump, at number two, which he usually is at number one, but this week, at number one, Kamala Harris. Okay, let's wrap up the wrap. With QAnon supporter Marjorie Taylor Greene winning victory in the GOP primary for a congressional seat representing a heavily Republican district in North Georgia, and President Trump strongly endorsing her as a winner, there's been a lot of talk about QAnon on talk shows this past week. What's it all about? Joining us is our international woman in the nation's capital, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. Victoria, tell us about this conspiracy theory, QAnon. Yes, QAnon is a conspiracy theory. As far as we can tell, it is a false conspiracy theory. Started in 2017, somebody who we don't even know if this person is real, who identified as Q deep access to the very highest levels of the federal government started dripping little breadcrumbs, they called them, on a chat called 4chan, which is anonymous, and said they were committed to revealing the hidden truth. And the hidden truth was things like President Obama, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton are Satanists involved in a global pedophilia ring, 
Um, President Trump is secretly planning a counter coup against members of the deep state, so-called. Um, the, there's uh, massive pedophilia going on. There's Satanism. There's mind control. Um, the media is involved and uh, culture, science, everything is involved. It's similar in many ways to the Illuminati conspiracy theory. And people started to believe this, particularly since more and more of these breadcrumbs were dropped. And it got very intriguing to people. Do you think the president really believes this or that he plays footsies with these types of fringe groups so as to get their votes, but not necessarily directly endorse what they stand for? I have absolutely no idea. What I do know from having observed him for many years and from having been in the White House while he was president is that when conspiracy theories come up, he tends to pick up on them quickly, whether he believes them or whether he capitalizes on them. I really don't know. Another uh, theory about his dealing with these theories is that he doesn't always do the homework to find out the details of what he might retweet if um, a sentence in it or something in it is, um, you know, favorable to his particular campaign or or something that he is uh, trying to, uh, you know, get through. And that um, a lot of it might just be that he doesn't take the time to fully vet these things. What do you think? Oh, I th- you know, he, look, he he retweets a lot of things. He has millions of followers. It's very unlikely he would have the time. He's a busy man to do all the research. And he does sometimes, I think, espouse people. There was a recent doctor who uh, had particular views on the coronavirus, who he espoused. And then when he found out that that she was in favor of um, alien DNA and things, that, uh, that he distanced himself from her. So he does do that when he finds out about people. So I think, I think that's true, but he's a busy person. And, and busy people don't always have time to do all that research when they're politicians. And that's when you come to rely on good aides and advisors. That's our Washington correspondent, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. And that brings us to the conclusion of this latest installment of our show. This has been the Michael Harrison Wrap, looking back at this past week of Monday, August 10th through Friday, August 14th, 2020. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor. That unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelattalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. And that does it for this week's installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications in association with Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.